This is the Education Gadfly Show. Yeah, by that time I'll be old and in the home. And you, and you can come visit me and tell me how the Mets are doing. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Robert Pondicio of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Steven Strasberg of Education Reform, Brandon Wright. All right. So, right. Uh, seven so years, 175 million. That's about your pay range. Pretty good. Yeah. And the fan base has started to kind of like him more, not because he's doing better or worse, just because their expectations are now sort of realistic. Uh, my, my thought is they gave him that contract to, to kind of um, move down what they're going to have to give Bryce Harper. People have been talking about Bryce Harper as <laughs> a $400 million contract. And now they can say, dude, Steven Strasburg, our ace, only got 175. So, who do you think you are? Uh, I think he'd be Bryce Harper. Uh, so Mike Petrilli will be our Bryce Harper, Harper <laughs> I guess. But um, hey, look, I, I know you're a Nats yeah. fan. I, I'm actually going to the game tonight. Uh, and we're going to a game in two weeks. But yes. um, I, I hope to never see uh, Bryce Harper in a Mets uniform. Um, I doubt you ever will. It, it would it would be a huge Nats failure if somehow they let Harper go. Like perhaps a Mets uniform in 15 years or something. But Yeah, but. by that time I'll be old and in the home. <laughs> and, you, and you can come visit me and tell me how the Mets are doing. All right. All right. Uh, time to play Pardon the Gadfly. Audrey, lead us in. Robert, you recently wrote about education's dirty little secret. Why have teachers turned to sites like Google and Pinterest for lesson plans? Oh, why indeed? Because, they, boy, this just brings back flashbacks of every Sunday night I had as an elementary school teacher when I would sit up in a white, in a sweat and think, what am I going to teach tomorrow? Because my school had no curriculum. Uh, so this is an issue that has concerned me forever. But there was a RAND study, and that's what I wrote about in this piece for, for first for U.S. News and then the Gadfly. Uh, it turns out, do you know this, Brandon, what percentage of American teachers go on Google or Pinterest to look for instructional materials? Then you say close to 99% of ELA teachers. to 99. 99, exactly. So in, in other words, right. within the margin of error, every <laughs> Everyone. single yeah, yeah. one, okay? Um now, look, I, you know, I, I've, I've said this for years. I'm a curriculum guy. I take curriculum seriously. I wish uh, education uh, and we reformers took took this more seriously as a reform lever. Um, and and as a caveat, there are good reasons to go on uh, the Internet and look for materials. Uh, but what this says to me is that we're just not serious about putting good instructional materials in teachers' hands. Uh, and, there, and there's every evidence that says we should be. I'm thinking of the Russ Whitehurst study from a few years ago in Brookings that showed the effect sizes of a good curriculum. Uh, are even bigger than things like charter schools and teacher quality. And more recently, uh, Ulrich Boser and Matt Chingos wrote a similar piece that said it's cost neutral, that a bad curriculum costs as good as, uh, as, as much as a good one. So why not use a good one? Sure. Um, and the complication for my mind is if you're a teacher, what do you want that teacher to do? Do you want the teacher to be an expert instructional deliverer or do you want that teacher to be an expert instructional designer? Uh, I just think it's asking too much. When we talk about why is teaching so hard, why can't uh, people do this job well? Well, that's a big part of it to me. We're just making the job too hard. Yeah, and you make a point too that that like uh, some people say that part of the reason why teachers can't do this or shouldn't be expected to is that they don't take coursework in in instructional design. My re my my reaction when I read that though was even if they did, I went to a lot of school. Mm -hmm. I was in higher education for like eight years, and the coursework by itself didn't teach me to do all that much, right? Mm. And and you think about how teachers are trained and often they're trained and then just dumped into a classroom. And, and that. that's sort of rare as far as 
professions go and to expect, even if a teacher took coursework mm-hmm. in this, to expect them to then go into the classroom, know how to teach, know how to make curriculum, it, it's, 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 it's just so wildly unrealistic. You know, that it's, yeah, you're reminding it's, me of- it's, uh, it's kind of bizarre. My first year teaching, my classroom was absolutely sloppy with people, grownups, wanting to tell me how to teach. I had coaches, I had my assistant principal, my principal, all these consultants telling me how to teach. When I raised what I thought was the very logical question of, okay, but what should I teach? teach, the question was almost laughed at. Oh, well, Mr. Pondicio, you're the best person to know what every child needs. Like, wait a minute. Like this child needs the water cycle. That child needs the the, the three branches of government. Don't they all need that? Uh, We're just unused to uh, talking about curriculum as not just a reform lever, but as part of good professional practice. Uh, There's lots of good reasons for it. We can talk about it another time. But again, I keep coming back to this idea and I'm not suggesting, God knows, I'm not suggesting we put a scripted curriculum in every classroom. Um, but I just don't think it's a good idea to expect teachers to do this on their own to the degree to which they are now expected to. I would much rather see teachers do things like examine student work, develop uh, good relationships with kids and families, uh, become the expert in their in their craft, uh, give good feedback, etc. Designing, going on Pinterest on a Sunday night to decide what to teach on Monday morning is not a good use of teacher time. I agree. Question number two. In this week's Gadfly, Tim Daly argues that the market for spally schooling fails to adequately assist parents in making informed choices. What can states and districts do to better equip moms and dads? Great question. What do you think, Ren? Uh, so I think school districts and states um, need to find a way to make parents essentially better informed consumers when it comes to school choice. Mm-hmm. Um, places just don't do that well right now. Well, I, you could make the case that we're just not used to, as an educational enterprise, doing so, because for most of our history, you sure. didn't have to do that. Although charter schools have been around for 25 years now, yeah. um, 24, I guess. Uh, and right for a market to actually work, one of the key elements is having an informed c- consumer. Right. And right now, there doesn't exist in a lot of places kind of a single independent entity or entities that 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 give parents the information right that they need to know whether a school is actually good yep. um, or to know whether the school that their kids in at the moment is good or bad. Yeah. You know, what was interesting about Tim Daly's piece and I urge everybody to read it. Uh, he makes the case, and I think it's a compelling one that parents are not necessarily unsatisfied until you start to talk them through the process and, and, uh, you know, there's a certain inertia, my words, not Tim mm-hmm. Daly's, um, uh, about where kids are. You know, my, my kid's school may not be great, but it's it's good enough. Um, my, my one pushback on, on, on this way of thinking is keep in mind, especially if you're talking about low-income families, uh, they may have other uh, lenses to which they view school quality that is, that is not just um, reading a math score. So sure, of course not. Yeah. I think of my own school when I used to teach in the South Bronx. Uh, you know, it was not by anyone's stretch of the imagination a good school. Uh, but the principal there spoke Spanish. She knew all the parents on a first name basis. The right. teachers were nice. Uh, it was a it was a warm, inviting place. Just had lousy test scores. But the other thing that it had, it was a very safe school and frankly, a very unsafe neighborhood. Uh, and I spent a lot of time quietly trying to persuade parents of my younger students to, uh, hey, maybe you want to enter that KIPP lottery for that school down the street. In five years, only one ever did. Uh, so you kind of learn that you can't just assume that everybody has the same set of lenses. That you oh, sure, do. sure. Um, and I think all of that would be included in making parents better informed. I mean, I, I think about like, I just bought a table 
on Amazon. Mm -hmm. When I bought it, I was able to see what 2000 people thought about it. I was able to uh, read a bunch of questions and answers that hundred people asked. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to, to see like exactly how, how big the table was, the clearance here and there, right? right. Like the idea that I can get all that information when table, I buy a table, a $50 table, Ouch. but not on the school I send yeah. my son or daughter. Yeah. Okay. Really, I think puts that in, in very sharp relief and perspective. <laughs> okay. You win. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a good comeback. <laughs> you're, you're, you're simply just right about that. Uh, but do read Tim Daly's piece. It's, it's worth your time. Uh, Audrey, question number three, David Brooks, made the argument that grit is really a manifestation of a person knowing what they want. Essentially, if you want something enough, you persevere until you get it. Do either of you share Brooks's opinion? <laughs> I, I love me some David Brooks. And I say this without irony. He really is one of my, my uh, two or three favorite uh, columnists. Um, but I, I think the dudes have a midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I buy this one. Uh, yeah. I, I don't love this argument. Um, I think kind of the spirit of it is right that 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 grit as he defines it is important that 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 having students sort of follow their interests and be critical thinkers are all important but i think he takes it too far right yeah, right right he right. he he essentially starts the piece by arguing that gpas are somewhat bad because they encourage giving the teacher what he or she wants not uh, they don't encourage the kid to do what he or she wants now, to let, an extent. Let me just ask you a wild question here, Brandon. Um, what do you do for a living? You work here at Fordham. Does any part of your job involve doing things that other people want you to do? <laughs> I mean, I... I or, or would that be all of it? I have a good job okay. and I have a lot of freedom on in my job. There's a butt coming. Way more so than I think most people do. Yeah. And I feel very lucky to have this job, but oh, there it is. the bulk of it, almost all of it <laughs> right. is giving my bosses what they want. Isn't that in America, what we call having a job? Right. 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 Okay. Right. So, and so even your bosses have, you know, they've yeah. got boards, they've got fundraisers. Um, Dave Brooks, what, what planet are you living on, sir? That was my reaction. Yeah, to it. I, I, I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to overly uh, crit criticize because I, I do admire him and I, I get his point. Yeah. But I mean, this is one of those ideas that uh, not only could you follow off the edge of a cliff. I, I think David Brooks has followed off the edge of a cliff. I think it takes and, it too far. And do I want to be uh, in a school where every teacher is now in charge of making sure that every student finds his or her bliss? Um, after you, David Brooks. And I'm not even sure what that means. I don't either. I don't either. This is just, uh, but you know what, the, what, what is the, um, the, the principle, the, the Gelman amnesia principle. Do you know what this is? We actually just we had an email exchange about this. Yeah. 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 When, so when somebody who you like and respect writes about something that you know about, and then you realize, wait, that's kind of crazy. But then you forget that when they write about things that you don't know about. So, um, uh, David Brooks will be watching you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's all the time we have for pardon the gadfly. Now it's time for everyone's favorite. Amber's Research Minute. Amber, I have to ask you a quick question of because course. it has come to my attention that maybe my pop culture reference was was too obscure this oh, week. Oh, I missed it. Who is Steven Strasberg? 
Uh, he is the Nationals pitcher. Okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> let's, let's move on then. Audrey, we and told you. And he pitches like 99 miles per hour no, or something, No, they all right? do, but something. he actually, he, he seems to do it quite well. Yes, yeah, I yeah. do know that. I have gone to my share of Nats games. Right. So, okay. yes, indeed. Case closed. Amber, what you got for us? <laughs> all right. I got a new study out by Pat Wolf and a couple of his grad students. University of Arkansas. Of course. All he's right. a big he's a big player. Um, he does a formal meta-analysis of the impacts of voucher programs on math and reading achievement and why is this important because he needs to set the record straight okay we've okay. gotten we if you guys follow this and, and we all do oh, of there's course. this mismatch of politically divisive information about voucher programs right correct and it's coming out of academia it's coming out of think tanks in the press and i really think it was motivated by just let's just try to set the record straight here okay so they go through a litany of prior reviews of voucher achievement effects and they deem that most of these reviews are inefficient primarily because they include less rigorous studies than he includes in their review. So how many studies, how many made the cut? I'm getting there. Oh, I'm sorry. And they omit other relevant rigorous studies. So all these other reviews just don't quite cut the mustard. Okay. Um, so they result in differing conclusions. So you've got some that say no effect. Some say positive effects. Some say a mix. So he, answer your question, uh, went through this uh, long process of figuring out, okay, what are we going to include? And they decided, you know, lo and behold, they're going to use experimental studies, right? Randomized control trials only, mm -hmm. since that's, you know, the quote, the gold standard. And they um, expanded it to say, okay, if it's an RCT ever, ever conducted on a voucher program in or outside the United States, that that's eligible Ooh, outside, okay. the, outside United the United States, States too. States. Interesting. It has to focus on participant effects. Okay. And it has to be measuring test scores in reading and math. So they mm -hmm. did have those. Um, so there are some studies that look at graduation rates, for instance, mm -hmm. or college attainment, and those weren't in. Okay. It's just on the reading and math uh, scores. Uh, and if it wasn't translated in English, that didn't make the cut either. <laughs> Harder <okay>? to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but it could be government or privately funded. Okay. okay. And it could be uh, funded indirectly indirectly through a tax credit scholarship. I have okay. no idea what the end size is going to be here. I couldn't it's, even guess. It, it is really, really small. Okay. okay. So they go through all EBSCO and JSTOR and all these library databases. They do a Google search of output and they do a snowball search and they do all this other stuff resulted in, okay, take a guess. How many? I, I, when I say I couldn't guess, I really mean it. Uh, 20. Oh my gosh, 19. Are you serious? 19. That was, I guess. Uh, that's pretty Suck good. Suck that out of the end of my thumb. Um, <laughs> and the 19 included 11 programs um, that, so 19 studies, 11 programs, okay? Because obviously some studies studied the same program. Mm -hmm. um, eight in the United States. So Milwaukee, Dayton, New York City, among them, Louisiana. And three in Colombia and India. Okay, wow. these we are big and I don't know why we don't have Chile in here, but anyway, hmm. um, a total of 262 effect sizes are included, and that's the size of the treatment impact in a standard deviation. Mm -hmm. Okay, and overall, okay, bottom line, all that uh, find positive results of vouchers that vary by subject, location, whether inside or outside the US, mm -hmm. and the funding. Um, and it's like all these pages and pages of findings. And then I found these lovely, like, two sentences that boil everything down. Hey, Dr. Don't Wolf, you, just don't you love those like two sentences you find in these mm -hmm. really complicated studies? They work studies? or they don't. So there's two sentences. Generally, the impacts of private school vouchers are larger for reading than for math. Wow. Um, don't wow yet. Impacts tend to be larger for programs outside the U.S. relative to those within the U.S. Huh. And impacts are generally larger for publicly funded programs as opposed to privately funded programs. Huh. End quote. 
Then you dig a little more, and this is yeah. the part that's not going to surprise you. Um, they find that uh, the reading impacts tend to be larger because it's driven mostly by this Columbia voucher program. Okay. But they are null. when they, so The overall is larger, but when you just look at it for the U.S., it's null. Okay. okay. And then when they start looking at math, it's a very modest, like 0.07 standard deviation. But then when you throw in the Louisiana program, right. it goes null in math too. Okay. So really? really like a lot of this is driven again, there's some restatement right. by these programs that are outside of the United States. I would think that math would be a better apples to apples comparison simply because of the vagaries of language. I mean, I have no idea how yes. easy it is to learn Spanish. Uh, then you have you know, my issues, background knowledge, vocabulary, which, you know, you can compare one culture to the next. That's right. And they do something where they try to control for that. And maybe it's okay. that they put English and reading together. I forget how that worked, but yeah. there was some attention to that that I didn't pay attention but I, to I'm that much. I'm still guessing that, that the math effects would be either measurable or not. Right. And that's, I mean, again, I mean, I was, that's one thing I was interested in. You're like, why would other countries, because I know you think a lot about reading assessments, yeah, exactly. right? Like, I wonder, do they look different in other places? Are they able to pick up on these changes that we're not able to pick up on? Right. I just don't know what Columbia and, and was it Columbia? What was my other one? In yeah, India, India right. do to measure reading. Right. Uh, but anyway, they hypothesize and then I'm finishing up here. Uh, they basically, then they talk about, okay, why are these publicly funded programs doing better? And they say, you know, well, they tend to be the, have to be the entire cost, right? For educating the child because most institutions have to take that as the entire cost. So right. maybe there's, you know, something there relative to that point. So all in all, I think, you know, it was mostly null findings when you dig in for the United right. States, um, meaning, you know, no relationship or maybe these things, um, you know, could be occurring by chance, but basically it's just a nothing burger. So I don't, that's Checker's word, by the way. There's your headline. And I don't know what to do with that, you know, because we always think, well, this is a great study because right. now we're looking outside of the U.S. because you always hear about these voucher programs internationally. Um, and for some reason, they tend to be able to do at least perform better in a right. meta-analysis than our programs do. Well, you know what to do with this. You know what the answer always is, Amber. The answer is... Mm, more studies, studies. <laughs> <laughs> and we all hate that answer and he had 9,700 and some studies and got it That's down right. to what 19 okay well we need one more to make so, it an even 20 I mean you know um, but I, I just don't know I, I appreciate the fact that they go through because I mean when people hear meta-analysis they kind of want to take a little snooze there you go um, and I didn't I picked it up Pat um, <laughs> partly because I'm actually on a panel with him in a couple weeks but anyway um, so I wanted to read the study but I think that um I just not, I'm just not sure what to make of this yeah. internationally, you know? Yeah, and look, I'm out of my depth on international comparisons, so mm -hmm. I appreciate the effort, but I'm not sure I would have found it persuasive, even if they, they it had not been a null finding, because I'm not sure you can always make these comparisons across borders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brandon, you got any thoughts? Um, I agree that it's kind of hard to compare. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that means that we shouldn't try sure. um, mm -hmm. or that we should just ignore them. Um, I'm very curious about, I guess, uh, a guess at what these other countries are doing that we aren't. Um, and I would uh, want to try to learn or try to copy 
things that are applicable to yeah i think that they i mean and and you programs. hear a lot um exactly I mean, you hear a lot anecdotally that other countries just don't have the you know nervousness that we have around vouchers right. you know they just accept as the premise that their child should be able to go to a school of their choice no matter what their religion or yeah. lack thereof yeah. um and so yeah there's just a, there's a cultural acceptance of of these programs that we don't see here. And for um, what it's worth, one man's opinion, I've always been more comfortable arguing for vouchers on exactly those grounds as yeah. an intrinsic good. I chose my school. You get to choose your kid's right. school. And, mm-hmm. and, and, right. and, and if it works better, you're the judge of that. Yeah. And I've never been to Columbia or India. You guys ever been there? Nope. Nor have I. Checker no. has. We'll ask him. I know. Because in, when you go, you know, you naturally start asking questions about the education. At least I do. Everywhere I go, oh, I yeah, start yeah, asking yeah, yeah. questions about the education system there. But Busman's holiday. just don't have any. It's also a very, a very complicated place and yes. complex place. That's right. And big. At least in Very big. Very big. Lots of people. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's all the time we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. Brandon Wright. And I'm Robert Pondicio for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.